Now, for the last two weeks, we have been looking at the theme of Valley Creek United and considering God's call on our lives to unity. The first week, we looked at the need to strive toward unity, especially in a world that is increasingly divided. And then last week, we looked at how unity is really possible only as we stay united to Christ, or better put, as we abide in Jesus. And we're going to continue that theme today and look very practically at what a uniting Christian looks like. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to take them out. Or if you have a Bible app, I want you to open it up to Colossians chapter 3. Because if you're familiar with your Bible, you're going to know that this portion of the Scripture, there are actually two letters that have been written by the Apostle Paul that are very similar in nature. These two letters, we call one of them Ephesians and the other one we call Colossians. Both of these are letters that were read to the church body to give instructions to believers on how they are to live as Christians. We can know this even by the opening salutation where we can read, for example, at the beginning of Colossians 1 that says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. You know, the specific context to which Paul wrote the letter we're going to look at today was to the church at Colossae. But the truths that God had written here are truths that he had recorded in his scripture for all saints and all Christians throughout time. If you read both Ephesians and Colossians, what you'll see is very practical advice on living out the Christian life. Some of those things really apply more to you specifically individually as a Christian, and other those really speak for us as believers and how we act within the context of the church body. Now, as we look at our text today, look at what Paul writes, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 3. He says, here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all in all. What Paul is emphasizing in that verse is the importance of recognizing something, that in the church, there should be no division. There should be no division based upon race. He says, Greek and Jew. There should be no division based upon whatever your religious background is, circumcised or uncircumcised. There should be no division upon your cultural background, barbarian or Scythian, and no division on economic status, slave and free. Paul clearly is pointing to the readers of this letter to understand that there's no doubt that in Jesus Christ, you ready? We are all equal and that in Jesus, there should be a sense of unity in the body of believers. Does that make sense? I mean, we're all one. There should be no difference. With that said, Paul is writing with the goal of helping believers understand how you live out your faith. And so today, we're going to look at how in these verses, you can live as a uniting Christian. This is important for us to grasp because as we've been saying, you most likely will either be a believer who brings unity or you will be a believer who brings division. And my hope for all of us today is that we would want to be uniting Christians. We would want to be those folks who are bringing unity and not division. And so let's continue to read in Colossians 3, verse 12. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect 
harmony, all right? They're going to be in unity, right? It's perfect harmony. Now, as we read these verses, what we need to grasp is that first, a uniting Christian cares about people. You know, when you look at what is written in these verses, everything here deals with the way that we relate to people. As Paul shares here, we are reminded that of these words that Christians are, 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 are dressed here as the chosen ones, holy and beloved. And so we know Paul is writing these words to Christians. Therefore, he's saying as a Christian, you are called to do what is written in these verses. And here's the challenge. It's to put on. All right, or have in your life these characteristics. What is a believer am I to put into my life? What characteristics am I to wear? Verse 12 really lists several characteristics that we should have as Christians. Look quickly at them again. He said, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, I'm not gonna make you raise your hand this morning, but as you look at that verse, I wonder if any of you this morning Ha, ha, struggle with any of those characteristics in your life. Don't, don't raise your hands, right? I don't, I don't want you to do that because I think, though, if we were honest, every one of us would have to raise our hand and say, I, I struggle with these. I mean, let's just start with compassionate hearts. Oftentimes, when we someone going through a difficulty, instead of having compassionate hearts, don't we often have judgmental hearts? All right, let's give, me, let's give you an example, all right? You see somebody maybe alongside the road and, and they're begging for, for help because they need help. Is your first thought, I'm sorry that they don't have enough money to live or is it, why don't they go get a job? Don't, don't answer, okay? I, I, I don't know, all right? Because right there you're already convicted. I know that, right? What, what about if somebody is suffering a moral failure in their life, right? They're suffering through that. Do you think your mind, well, they're just getting what they deserve? Or, or do you think, you know what, I, I understand what they're dealing with. I've made my, my, my mistakes and bad choices in life too. I wonder if I can help them. All right. I'm sure many of you will be convicted again, those two, those two examples. And you have to say, maybe having a compassionate heart is not my strength. I believe you all have this natural tendency to be more judgmental than compassionate. But God's word challenges us as believers to put on compassionate hearts. Then kindness. Couldn't our world use a little more kindness, right? It seems everywhere you turn today, people are just mean or hurtful. Even in the church, one has to wonder, where's the kindness, right? Sometimes even in church, it seems like we can be the most mean in the church, and it shouldn't be that way, right? But we struggle to be even just kind with one another. Our world seems to be full of people who, who, who want to be mean, but it goes on to even say we're supposed to put on humility as well. Humility is where one doesn't even think too highly of themselves, but instead doing as Jesus set the example of thinking of other people as better than themselves, all right? And when we live in a world where people really think this, all right, I've got it figured out and everybody should think just like me, right? And so if they don't think just like me, I don't want to have anything to do with them. I'm just going to discard them. I'm going to put them out of my life because, right, I'm right, they're wrong. That's, that's not humility, right? We should have a humility that keeps us from fighting for our likes or thoughts and instead looks out for the interest of others. We need humility. And after humility, we need meekness, which is one we have a hard time with sometimes as well. And then probably the one we struggle with the most, it says we need patience. No one here struggles with that, I know. So I'll just skip it, right? 
really the reality is this, I could take much more time and go through each characteristic this morning in more detail, but the key to all these is the idea that that there's a way that God wants us to act toward others, and so we have to look and examine our own lives and see if we're measuring up. Are we living with the characteristics that God is calling us to live when it comes to caring about people and being a united Christian? Now, we know that having these Christians, these characteristics towards others can be hard. I believe first we know it experientially. In other words, we have lived, as we have lived, we've experienced how it can be hard to be compassionate, kind, humble, and meek. But if for some reason we didn't already know how hard these things can be, the next verse in a way reminds us that they can be hard when it says in verse 13, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There is no doubt that if you have dealings with people, there will be times when they fail or act differently than you expect. Am I right? If you're married, I am sure your spouse has failed or acted differently at times than you expected, right? Right, yeah. Some shouldn't say amen too loud, Mike, all right? All right. If you are single this morning and you have close friends you know, you know those friends at times have acted differently than you expected, right? Or they have failed you, right? We, we know that. And if you have kids today or you have those children, they at times will fail or act differently than you expect. And all the parents in the room say, right, y'all, it's okay with that one, right? We just offend our kids. They'll, they'll get over it. But that's, that is with people in general, right? That's people in general. So here in the church, when we are challenged to live in unity, we have to understand that there will be times when people we care for, people we worship next to, singing praises to God this morning, there will be times when those people fail or act differently than we expect. In fact, why don't you do something, all right? Why don't you turn to the person sitting next to you and say, that's going to be me. Yeah. Yeah. I, some of y'all wanted to say, that's going to be you, right? <laughs> yeah, see, I, I got you on that one. No, you're not looking at him say, that's going to be you. You're going to look and say, no, that's going to be me because we're all going to fail. Now, hear me. In light of the inevitable failure of people, Paul said, bear with one another. The word Paul used can also be translated endure. All right, instead of just casting those people aside who disappoint us, we should hang in there with them, help them, and at times restore them. You shouldn't give up on others. In fact, listen to this statement. I put it in your notes. Church should be a place that people find support to overcome their failures, not to be condemned and ostracized because of their failures. We should be able to agree to that, right? We should be in this struggle. We're all going to fail. And as a church, this would be the place when we fail, there are people there who help us. They endure with us. They encourage us. Now, the next word we read just builds upon that thought as we continue to read where it says, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. All right? It's not just bearing with them. We should forgive. Hear me, forgiveness should be rampant among God's people. If you deal with people at all, you know that the need to forgive someone for something that person did against you will arise often. And for a Christian, there should not be an option to not forgive. Paul's words here were not, you should think about forgiving. That's not what he said. 
His words were, you must forgive certain people. His words were, did you hear him? You must forgive. Not a lot of amens. Thank you, Sean, right? We, we, we must forgive. Now, why must we forgive? Paul points us to the Lord's forgiveness for each of us and says, we forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. If you fail to forgive, then you are saying that there are some things that cannot be forgiven, and to take that stance is to put yourself in the place of God. When you take an unforgiving stance, you are saying, I know more than God. Don't ever forget that God is holy and just. Don't ever forget that God is the perfect judge of right and wrong. Don't ever forget that this holy God sent Jesus to die for your sin so that you might be forgiven. And so if you fail to forgive, then you are putting yourself above God and saying, God, I know better than you. When God says, I'm willing to forgive anyone and anything, when a person repents and turns to Jesus and you say, I can't forgive, you are saying, you know more than God. And I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, that just is not right. You are wrong and God is right, all right? Pick it up, that's God calling, saying, hey, I'm gonna confirm that, all right? <laughs> He's just telling us, that's right. Just want you to know, okay? Now, as I say that, as I say that, God doesn't overlook sin. That's not what I'm saying. Don't, don't ever make, make the mistake of thinking that God doesn't care how we live. He absolutely does. But because he knows the human heart, he knows that we will all fail to live up to his holy standards. It is why Jesus had to come to die for us. Jesus had to come to suffer for our sin, but he suffered so that we might be forgiven even though we do not deserve it. And therefore it should be a simple thing for us to forgive those who have failed us. In fact, in, in, uh, in, it is the Christian way for us to forgive. The Greek word used here in the original language is the word charizomenoi which is related to the word grace, and it means to give freely, to cancel a debt. What is clear from the scripture is that Christians should be people who readily and freely forgive. Christians recognize that harboring resentment or negative feelings against others is not helpful or healthy, and so they actively forgive as the Lord forgave them. When we forgive as the Lord forgave, we should even be reminded that the Lord didn't wait for us to ask for forgiveness before he acted. You all know that, right? He actually acted to forgive before we even acknowledged our need. Sometimes we have to forgive someone before they even ask us to forgive them for, for sometimes, all right, you know, they don't act as they should. They don't even need to ask for forgiveness, but we give it anyway because, again, that's what the Lord did for us. And I'm going to say from my experience, ready? Forgiveness is healing to the soul and essential for a, uni for a uniting Christian. All right. Now, after this call to forgive, Paul puts this first part together by saying in verse 14, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Man, what an important word for us to hear. If you're going to be a uniting Christian, your life must be filled with love. I, I would encourage all of you to do something. We don't have time to do it this morning. But I would encourage you to go read 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you know that chapter. You, you probably say, oh, 1 Corinthians 13. I know that. I mean, that's the love chapter in the Bible, right? If nothing else, you've heard it read at weddings. We often read it at weddings. So let, let me go ahead and tell you, it's not a, a wedding passage. That's not what it's about. Because in that passage, it goes on to tell us, you know what? If you can speak eloquently, in other words, speak better than me. If you can speak eloquently about the things of God, but you do not have love, 
you're doing nothing but making noise. It says we're reminded that we have faith that can move mountains but do not have love. We are nothing. We are told that we can give everything that we have to the poor, but if we have not love, we gain nothing because love is essential to all that we do. Love should be the driving force of our lives. Think about what Jesus said was the greatest commandments. He said the first one was this. Anybody remember how it starts? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, right? And the second commandment is like it, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. So what is key? Love. Love is a thing that binds everything together. Now, since this isn't a sermon on love, I'm not gonna spend too much time here. And so let me make a point that's specific to the church as we consider this topic of unity. I want you to listen close, right? Because this is how it's gonna apply to us as a church living in unity. People are more important than programs, this needs to be very clear because often many disagreements in church come over programs. People ask, well, why aren't we doing this program anymore? Why did we stop doing this program? Wrong question. Wrong question. The question we need to be asked is, what are we doing to love on people and to develop meaning relationships, meaning lasting relationships? Relationships should be the priority because it is in with the context of relationship that we will help each other grow in Christ and live in Christ. It is true as the old saying goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I can say for me, as I've returned as pastor, one of the big emphases that I will have in ministry moving forward is this. How do we better love on people? Because I truly believe if love will flourish, then the church will flourish. And I'm not talking about a love that simply says anything is acceptable and anything goes because that's not real love. But what I'm talking about is a love that is defined by God and modeled by God. The word for love used here in the Greek is the word agape. And it is a love, if you don't know this, it's a love that truly can only be defined by God. You have to look at God and say, what does agape love looks like? You have to look at God and say, he demonstrates to me what agape love looks like. And so I look to God and as I understand how love looks like from God's perspective, perspective, then that's how I love other people because God is the only true God and he is holy, perfect, and just. But when we are driven by the love of God, he shows us how to treat others, which includes all the things we've already talked about because it is love that binds it all together. There's no doubt if we're going to be uniting Christians, we have to care about people. Now, Paul doesn't just stop there though. We can quickly look at least two other things that define a uniting Christian other than caring for people. And one of those is this, a uniting Christian worships with others. In fact, look at verse 15. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Now, as I read that verse, one thing that I'm reminded of is that God indeed wants you to have peace. Jesus died that we can, might have peace with God and so that we could have peace as we live in this world. And so that someday we could be at peace in heaven when this life is over. When we trust our lives to Jesus as Savior, he truly wants us to have peace. And I know that's true because he said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives you do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace that Jesus gives may look different than the, how the world would define peace, but it's a peace that is lasting. And it is a peace that gives you strength in this world so that your heart is not troubled or afraid. Now, 
there is this truth all throughout Scripture that God wants to give you peace as an individual. But hear me. This passage is more than just about individual peace. Did you notice in the text that it didn't say this? It didn't say, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Did you notice that? You skipped over it, didn't you? Right? It said, let the peace of God rule in your, see if anybody caught it. Anybody catch it? Hearts, hearts, plural, right? It didn't say singular, all right? It's not like Paul was saying, oh, I want you over here to have peace in your heart. I want you over here to have peace in your heart, though that's true, right? But he was looking and saying, you know what? He said, I want you corporately as a body of Christ, this body which you're called, this church, that you collectively, that you have peace in your hearts. He wants his peace to rule in this place. What God desires from his people is that collectively, they help each other, hear me, They collectively help each other navigate this discouraging and treacherous world together in such a way that believers have peace despite what is going on in the world. In fact, let's remember the words of Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, all right? And if you have your notes, I I, I typed and made a mistake. It's not Hebrews 2, it's Hebrews 10, all right? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another and to, to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That is a word we need to hear because in this post-COVID world, or some says still COVID world, many people have given up on meeting together and it is detrimental to their souls. It's detrimental. We all need the body of Christ and we need to be the body of Christ. We need to come be with other believers and together we should have been encouraging each other and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Now, I'll say this, God has not given me a word on when the world is ending. I don't know if it's gonna end in today. I don't know if it's gonna end in a week, a month, a year, a decade, all right, a century, a millennium. I don't know when the world's gonna end. He hasn't given me that word. In fact, his word tells me I will never know. I won't know. But I do believe this. Every day we live is a day closer to the end. Every day we live is a day closer to the day when Jesus is going to come and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, right? Every every day is a day closer. We don't know, all right? But his word says it's coming. What, What I do, Nate, we're drawing near. And I also know this. It seems as each day passes, it's becoming harder and harder and harder to live in this world as a Christian. This is what it seems like me. Maybe it's me, but it seems especially hard for believers. What that tells me is we need each other. And if you are going to be a uniting Christian, you will regularly worship with others. In fact, look how Paul continues in verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. You see, as we gather in this place, the word of God should dwell richly here. Would you agree? It's, it's the word of God that teaches us. It is the word of God that admonishes us. It corrects us. It is the word of God that tells us of God's love. It is the word of God that helps us know God and his will for our lives. It is the word of God that points us to our source of joy, hope, and strength. 
So we should gather here in this place to hear God's word so that it can dwell in us, that it can teach us, it can admonish us, and we can do that with one another. You see, we need help in understanding and applying God's word to our lives. We need that help of one another. But we also should do, as it says, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. All right, Luke's gonna appreciate this point. I didn't tell him, but he's gonna appreciate this point. But don't let anyone ever tell you that music is not, and singing is not important to our worship. Right? I I think it just told us in God's word we should do these things, right? Right? As believers sing songs of worship to the Lord, it serves to focus our minds and our hearts on God. Song sings to lift our spirits when we are down and to form us of the mighty works of God. I mean, we talked about his love, right? Pursuing after us. Man, what's more encouraging than that, right? Right? Okay, all right. I know I draw great strength in singing with fellow believers about the greatness of our God. In truth, what singing should do is make us thankful, thankful for our God and all that he has done and all that he will do. My guess is many came in here this morning and maybe you came in a little overwhelmed from the week. Maybe you came here longing for a little hope and a different perspective on things. Well, we worship should serve to turn your hearts to God in thanksgiving. Again, already you should have learned that there is a glorious day through Christ, right? We've already learned, again, of the goodness of God. We're going to sing more. We we realize that God sings over his children. How great a thought that God sings over me, that God sings over you. I've been encouraged. No matter what the week past brought, I've been able to sing praises to our mighty God and says, God, you are great, you are mighty, you are strong. Worship has turned my heart to you, amen? I know this preacher probably preaches better when I worship the Lord than when I don't, right? You're saying, ah, oh, you never do good anyway. So anyway, but uh, move on. But, but anyway, what I know today is worship is something that helps us and we should truly, all right, sing with other believers and draw strength from one another as we hear the praises of God being lifted up. I have no doubt that a believer who is a uniting Christian will worship with others. Therefore, today, I want you to just consider something simply. All right, is worship a priority in your life? If worship is not a priority, I want to encourage you to make it a priority today because if you don't worship as a priority, you you, you will be missing out on life. And again, that will be detrimental to your life as a believer. So I hope today you would take that challenge to say worship is going to be a part of that because that's what a uniting Christian does, worships together, all right? Now, the last thing a uniting Christian does today is this lives to honor Jesus. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Man, I love this verse. I don't know if you love it. I'd probably underline it. If if we could, probably if we could underline that verse and live it out, it would summarize everything I've already said and more, right? It reminds us of the following, right? That, That Jesus is more than just a Sunday thing. We don't act one way on a Sunday at church and then another way the rest of the week in other places. We are called to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, we can take these words at their base and ask the question of the popular book written by Charles Sheldon. All right, if you've never read this book, it's an old book, goes back years, in his book called In His Steps. And in that book, he asked a question that became a popular statement several years ago. Some of you know what I'm getting ready to say. But in that book, Charles Sheldon asked the question, what would Jesus 
do, right, all right? He became popular. Now, now, oh, he's, oh, yeah, you just didn't know where it came from. Go read the book, In His Steps, Charles Sheldon, all right? Now, what we would do, we would do well if we would ask that question in everything we did. Wonder if those words really guarded our life. In this moment, what would Jesus do? And then I lived everything to honor Jesus. I would answer it. What would I do in this moment? What would Jesus have me do in this moment? And then we did what Jesus would have us do. Can I ask you a question? Would our lives change? Do you think there are things right now you might be doing you wouldn't do if you said, what would Jesus do? Or, or maybe when you came up on this thing and you pondered, do I do this or not? If you ask, what would Jesus do? All right, you think it would change your life? Yes, all right. So we would do well to ask that, okay? But let me take a moment even this and think. In light of this context of uniting Christian, let's just take a moment and say, if, if we just keep it on that context, remember we talk about caring for each other and worship from each other, all those. You think my life would change if, if I lived this principle out in regards to other people? I wonder if there's some things that might drop out of our life. I wonder if we live to honor Jesus, if we would say things like, well, let me tell you what I heard about such and such. And then start to spread a little gossip. You think that would change? Uh, yeah. Or how about, can you believe that such and such did this and that or this and that, what, whatever, you know. Right? They, can you believe they did that? Those things would probably drop out of our, our lives. Or maybe even statements like, well, I can't wait to get even. Yeah, I think that one would not be there, right? Think about all these, think about how our life would change. My guess is this, all right? The attitudes and actions like those would flee if we simply lived by the expression, what would Jesus do? And then let our actions be guided by the answer. Here's what I know for sure is that a uniting Christian will live to honor Jesus with their life. And they're gonna do that by caring for others, by worship with others, and truly honoring Jesus in every moment. Now, here's what I know I need to close. And so let's each one of us do something. Let's ask the question this morning, am I a uniting Christian? Today, do you care about people? It seems like a silly question to ask in church, right? But let's ask it seriously. Do I? All right, do, do, do I have a compassionate heart? Is there kindness in my life? Is there humility, meekness? Is there patience? How about today? How am I doing when it comes to enduring with others and bearing with them? How am I doing when it comes to forgiveness? Those things are tough, but I want to ask you today, all right? Are you that uniting Christian that does those things? How about today, your worship with others? Is it a priority? Worship is clearly a regular opportunity for you to be encouraged, to grow in the Lord, to connect with other believers, and most importantly, to have your eyes turned from the troubles of the world and focused on the Lord. If your worship is sporadic or it is not a priority, I encourage you today to not only make it a regular part of your life, but let me encourage you, when you come to worship, you engage in worship. Don't just sit there, right? Engage, be a part of it. Don't come be a spectator. Be a participator in worship. And then let's consider in everything you do, are you doing it in the name of the Lord? It, it, it may be that there's a few things in your life needs to change this morning. And in just a second, we're gonna have an invitation and you're gonna have an opportunity to come and kneel before the Lord and say, God, I, I need your help with this. I, I wanna be a united Christian, but I'm struggling here. If that's the case, here's the great thing about God. He is already at work to help us be united as he desires. Listen to these words and I'll, I'll close in a moment. In Ephesians 1, 7, 
through 10, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to do what? To unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things in earth. If you're going to be a uniting Christian, it's going to start by you being united to God through Jesus Christ. What those verses tell us is this. God knew our, our shortcomings. He knew we would struggle in all these things that we looked at today. Because all of us have failed, right? In fact, let, let's, let's, let's just see if you're paying attention. How many honestly today would say, I have failed at least in one of these areas today? At least one. All right. Just everybody be honest. It doesn't hurt. We're together, right? We're all doing that. So we've admitted it, right? We've all failed. God knew you were going to fail. That's why he said he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus because he knew that you were going to fail. And he wanted you to find forgiveness. He wanted you to be reunited to him. Because you know what? The Bible tells us that that sin in your life, it disconnected you to God. It broke your relationship with God. That's why you struggle so much in life. That's why this world has so much brokenness. Because our sin broke our relationship with God. And so we have a hard time being loving. We have a hard time being kind. We have a hard time doing all these things because of the sin that you raised your hand and said, I have done but God said he made a way that told us in the verses I just read that Jesus came to redeem us that we might be forgiven of our sin that through Jesus Christ we could be made new and we could be reunited with God again and as we're reunited with God what does he do he helps us unite with others he helps us be that uniting Christian so here's what I know for some here this morning some it starts by you being united with Christ what you need to do now is shut your ears to the preacher as Asher kicked his parents out of the door, right? And say, God, God, it's right now between you and me. And honestly, Lord, here's what needs, God, I need your forgiveness. I need Jesus to come into my life. Lord, would you come in and would you save me and forgive me? And in this moment, if you'll shut this preacher off and you'll talk to God, I know today he's ready to forgive you, all right? So do it. You can stop listening right now. I'll only ask you one little favor. If you pray or you need help praying that prayer in a moment when you give an invitation, would you come and tell Jacob or come and tell me? I've invited Jesus in my heart because we wanna help you now grow in that relationship with him. Is that a deal? Okay. Now for the rest of you, if you're here and say, well, I've already done that, but I messed up too. This altar is still here for we who are believers to come to this holy God who loves us and say, God, forgive me. I need to be strengthened. God, I need to do better. Lord, give me a more compassionate heart. Lord, help me to be more humble. Lord, give me that meekness. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, to forgive. Whatever you need this morning, the invitation is open for you to get with a holy God. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you in this moment, Father, now having opened your word, having worshiped you in this moment, God, giving this time as an invitation, Lord, that you might now deal with our hearts and our souls. Father, in this moment, I pray that your spirit would speak. And if there's one that needs to come and be reunited with you for the first time, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that hearts would be open to receive Jesus and to be saved. And for the rest of us, Father, that may already know you, God, I pray today that this would be a time for us to kneel before you as a holy God and say, God, help us. 
to live as that uniting Christian that you're calling us to be. Help us to do that for your glory. So speak to us in this moment, I pray, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.